Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. I was actually on a mountain hiking with my dogs and um, my, my boss calls me and is, is like, we need to do a story about this. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, uh, with a gammy eye, Ian Morris. Oh dear, uh, yeah, I didn't know about that. I, I've got, um, I've got a minor, I think I've got a minor eye infection. It's making me blink and cry and I've got some drops so it should be fine. But uh, it's, uh, it's a good start to uh, this weekend. Excellent. Good. Well, um, I, I hope you solved that, mate. Um, but this podcast is, as ever, brought to you... Not you, Ian. Although, in a way, it is to you. Well, I get to hear it before anyone else does, don't I? This is true, yeah. You get to hear it live. You're the only person who does. Um, <laughs> no, it's brought to you, dear listeners, um, because of our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Obviously, if you are one of our patrons, uh, this is your extended cut of this week's show that you're listening to. And my goodness, have we got a lot to cram in this week. Uh, If you're not a patron listening on our free feed, but would like to get our extended cut, uh, my weekly columns, we had a great one this week about um, how I track my girlfriend in real time uh, using an app, head to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash UK tech. Find out how you can support us for as little as one dollar per episode uh, and thank you very much to some of our new patrons that we've got this week Ali Foote Mike Gilmore Miles Clennell and also Anthony, Anthony Miles who moved up from $1 to $2 uh, meaning he now has access to our extended version so um, welcome to you Anthony listening uh, on the extended feed and thank you to everyone who is listening on our free feed and still leaving us reviews in iTunes telling your friends and colleagues that is just as good as way as supporting us as financially and thank you to everyone in whatever way you support us Now, the voice you heard at the start of the programme will, I think, be familiar to a number of long-time listeners and fans as that of Olivia Solon. Liv is joining us later in the show to talk about quite a controversial topic that saw her being the news rather than being the reporter of the news. It's fascinating, but as a heads-up, does concern some issues of a somewhat adult adult nature pardon me um we'll be treating it carefully of course but if you're listening with children around at that point you might want to fast forward and listen to that section when they're not around we'll let you know when that section begins though it's towards the end of the show so don't worry kids everything in the half hour or so before then is perfectly suitable for your delicate ears let's get on with the news um now last week we didn't talk about uber because the uber news that it was having its uh, or wasn't having its license renewed in London broke um, hours, almost literally hours yeah. after we finished recording uh, last week's episode, um, which was a, a bit annoying. But rather than sort of hack in a, a, a rushed extra bit of uh, recording time uh, into the, the recording when I was editing it, we thought, you know what, there'll be a whole bunch of developments over the next seven days. Let's wait and let's do it next week as an update to what's happening. So this is what's happened this week. And a lot has happened on this story this week. Um, first of all, just to recap, transportation authorities in London concluded that Uber isn't, and this is a quote, fit and proper to hold a private hire operator license. It said the company failed to do proper background checks on drivers uh, or re- and report crimes. 
and had and it had a major problem with a program called Grayball, which was used to avoid regulators. Uh, specifically, it was designed to identify law enforcement officials and then show them a fake interface on their device that made it harder for them to book Ubers. Um, TfL, which is the regulator uh, for transport in, in London, of course, said that Uber's approach and conduct demonstrate a lack of corporate responsibility. Now, the company was given 21 days to appeal. It can continue to operate uh, during the appeal process because the license would otherwise um, end this weekend. So they're still going to have a few weeks uh, while they're appealing. And they are, of course, appealing. Um, there have been a few other things that have happened ever since then. Um, firstly, Uber's CEO, uh, brand new CEO, in fact, came out with a written letter of apology to Londoners for the company's failings, which London's mayor, um, Sadiq Khan, said he appreciated. Um, the CEO said that Uber would appeal the city's decision, of course, but accepted the company, quote, must change. Uh, the mayor of London accused Uber of putting unfair pressure on TfL with an army of PR experts and lawyers. Uh, Uber then also uh, launched a petition uh, online on change.org calling for the decision to be overturned. Uh, It's pushing a link to this petition's um, website uh, when people open the app in London. Now, it's got about 800,000 signatures so far at the time of recording. Every reason to expect it will go past a million mark. Now, the cab app has two other problems on its hands um, that aren't directly related to this ruling but unfortunately it's not exactly giving them great local press um, it's appealing against a ruling that its drivers are entitled to rights such as holiday pay uh, and saying its workers well it says its workers are self-employed and self-employed people do not have holiday pay or sick pay uber told an employ um, an employment appeals tribunal that it's not part of this so-called gig economy and operates a similar business model to local taxi firms Now, last year, a tribunal ruled uh, two drivers were Uber employees and therefore were entitled to rights, including the minimum wage. And this was according to a write-up on the BBC. Now, as employees, drivers would then be entitled to sick pay and paid holiday. Another thing that happened this week, the FT reported that at least one board member of Transport for London raised questions about Uber's tax structure in writing. Uh, Although, as I mentioned, the tax specifically is not one of the issues um, under consideration by the regulator and wasn't didn't factor into its plans uh, to not renew its license. But the fact remains that Uber books all of its UK rides through a Dutch subsidiary, which other companies do do in similar ways, um, but it allows it to avoid paying the 20% VAT that's charged on goods and services in the UK. Um, That email was sent to about 50 TfL board members, according to the Financial Times, um, and Uber declined to comment on it. So this leaves Uber in a very, very tricky situation. It's had a very hard time in London. Um, there's been a lot of people that don't want it here. There are a lot of rivals that are now yeah. stepping in, like Get uh, and My Taxi, that are stepping in, offering discounts on rides to appeal to other users who have been left otherwise without a, a booking service. Um, and there's 40,000 employees, or rather there's 40,000 drivers in London, in addition to Uber's local staffing, um, that are currently unsure whether they're even going to have any work. Work. And certainly I would imagine that Get and My Taxi will be very quick to snap them up. But nonetheless, uh, it poses a very significant personal problem for those for those people while this is all in limbo. And the new CEO has recently just started. He took over um, from one of the, the co-founders, Travis Kalanick. 
And he's got a big job on his hands just dealing with the company's internal culture, which has a, a, a sordid reputation at this point for being uh, a bit of a you know bro culture and a bit larry and disrespectful of um, of privacy and, and other problems. And he's got to battle that while trying to convince London that Uber, Uber is good for London and Uber can change. And you know it's it's sort of. It's inherent in in their current way of doing business that um, that that problems can arise for for cities um, that don't want Uber there. So problems. I don't believe that Uber will lose its appeal. My belief is that they they will change because they know they need they know they need to. They also need to be able to set a precedent. I think for other cities that says, look, we know that we screwed up in London, and we know that we need to be better and they've said that and i think it's extremely good they've said that and i believe i genuinely believe the ceo means every word he says because why else would you take a job as the ceo of uber knowing all the problems it have has if you didn't think you had a solution and could take the company into a better place so i do believe they'll do it and then i think whatever they do in london will set a model for how uber may be demanded to behave in other cities around the world because there are many cities around the world that have banned uber or have, uh, have somehow otherwise imposed a tax uh, not a tax but you know a, a burden on its shoulders in order to carry on doing business or it's had to shut down either forcibly or by its own doing parts of its business like uber pop the carpooling service and was allowed to operate uber x which is its um slightly higher end and, and the more popular sort of uber service um and I think that it's important that it does do that. And I think it probably can recover from this. But at the same time, and this is where I, I sort of take a breath and and stop my monologue and ask Ian for some opinion. The question is, do we actually think Londoners want Uber or do we want this type of service Uber offered and would actually prefer Uber to sod off? Ian? Well, um, that's a good question. And um, I've never been, I've never seen such a mix amongst um the people who I follow on Twitter and my, you know, my friends and stuff like that. Um, I think Uber is probably one. I mean, you could, I think it would be difficult to argue. It's one of the most divisive companies ever. Um, and everyone has an opinion on it and everyone's opinion is different. And a lot, and I've had a lot of people make very good points on both sides of it. Um, Personally, I have used Uber a bit, not a huge amount. I've tended to rely on it if I need to get out from the city to home late at night. So say if I've um, I've missed my last train or if uh, the train company decides at the last minute to do some maintenance and then there's a bus and I just can't be I can't be dealing with it. So um, what I will sometimes do in those situations, is I'll, gra- I'll grab an Uber because it's nice and easy. And, you know, ultimately the price isn't unrealistic. It's also not a complete... You know, it's not utterly f- cheap. It's I've paid a, a, a range to get out here. Um, bearing in mind, I'm about twenty miles out from the city. Uh, I've paid between about twenty-five and seventy-five quid to get out here at, at times. Um, now I like it, and I I've had a good experience with all the drivers. The drivers have been nice. They've been polite. Uh, the cars have been good. It's just been. I, I have I haven't personally had a bad experience with it, but I also accept the fact that I'm not um, a woman, and I also accept the fact that there are there aren't quite the checks going through that perhaps need to. And there is some interesting stuff about how Uber operates that might might be open for 
tweaking. For example, if you want to become an Uber driver, they will help you get through the public carriage office license. There are things within that like um, an English test um, and um, an understanding of the geography of London, although it doesn't go anywhere near the black cabs understanding. Uh, But uh, Uber will help. Uber is a recognised test centre for these things. So it will help drivers get through that. And it will also, I believe, and I read this recently, um, it will pay you a certain amount of money uh, once you've done 20 journeys. So if you go through the process with them, you get a lot of that initial cost back. It costs about 600 quid to become a private uh, cabbie, you know, like a not a black cab, a PCO registered cabbie. Um, so they'll give you about half of that back, which obviously makes it quite a lot more attractive. And then you could drive for any cab office you wanted to. Um, but I sort of feel like almost a lot of the understanding of what Uber is gets lost in the understanding of how it's regulated and how the fact that there is a, you know, TfL is in charge of the regulation. TfL is ultimately signing off those cabbies as fit to do the job. And so if there's a problem, it needs to take a little bit of the responsibility itself. I think most of the arguments from um, the people, particularly on Twitter I've seen, are more about the idea of Uber as forcing out black cabs um, by undercutting them massively. And that can and cannot be true because um, obviously uh, I've had black cab rides in the city that have been really good value. You know, it might be a few quid or whatever. And then uh, and you would do the same in an Uber and it would probably not be as cheap. And Uber has its surge pricing, which is an absolute nightmare. They've been in trouble with, by some people with that before because of the way they apparently monitor your uh, phone's battery life and uh, put the prices up if you seem to be running out of battery. Um uh, obviously unsubstantiated, but interesting and and a, and a part of the overall problem in that we, th- there's not a lot of control over Uber. So um, it, it provides a great service. It's a really good app. It has that over pretty much everything I've ever used. Um, and, you know, uh, people have come to find it useful for free or for cheap rides. And I think that black cabs have done absolutely nothing to address the problem of cost and even getting in one like if if you ask a black cabbie to go somewhere he's not interested in going you've got no hope unless you're already in the taxi in which case legally they have to take you but only a certain distance that's the thing it's it's only sort of six miles around charing cross or something yeah i mean one of the points you raised uh, earlier was about the cost of the rides and, and them being cheaper than black cabs there is one underlying issue to this which i don't know how widely this is known or, or has been discussed um but certainly there'd been some studies of google uh, of google sorry of uh, of uber's financials that suggests that it subsidizes almost half the actual cost of a ride so yeah. when you're when you're paying for your ride let's say your journey costs you 15 pounds the journey might actually cost you know 25 pounds or more but Uber's using its vast war chest of invested uh, of invested money in order to subsidize the journey, thereby undercutting the competition, thereby being more attractive, thereby killing the competition. Yeah, and, and then when that competition's gone, then it'll put its prices up to the right, the proper amount, and then we'll have no cup competition, and it'll be expensive again. Yeah, which which is a, which is a, an effective strategy. It, it's unsustainable uh, in the long run, probably. Uh, and I don't know if they do this in every country. I don't know if they're still doing this. Um, but certainly, as recently as 2015, um, there was analysis that that showed that um, it was likely this was quite widespread, and that well, they that... they'd spent about two billion of their own dollars um, in subsidies alone. That is just a terrible business model. Like you can't run a company like that. And uh, well, you, you can because they well, have done. Yeah, well, allegedly. 
Well, let us know what you think uh, to the Uber News uh, podcast at natelangson.com. Very keen to hear your thoughts. Uh, if you've never written into us before, maybe this is a good time to start. Let us know what you think to all this and, and how it can be resolved, how you'd like to see it revo- resolved. Uh, or you can uh, get in touch with us, of course, at Text Message Pod on Twitter. It's a great place to follow. It's where we post all the news throughout the week that we both do and don't uh, talk about on the show uh, at the weekend. Um, let us know. We'll read them out next week. Well, staying on the topic of cars, but from a radically different angle this time, we have to talk about this. This broke um, middle of the week. Dyson is going to spend two and a half billion pounds to develop its own electric car. Company founder James Dyson revealed uh, that they're creating this uh, this battery electric vehicle that was going to launch by 2020, according to Wired, which is very, very soon. And they've got more than 400 people working on the project. Uh, and it's going to invest, as we say, um, well over two billion quid to do it. And the Financial Times report of this story said that a billion of that 2.5 billion is going to be spent on the battery alone. Solid state battery, in fact, uh, with another billion being spent on design and construction, of course. So... We don't know where if they'll hit the 2020 date. Uh, we do believe it's going to be manufactured either in the UK or Asia. I suppose it could be both. Um, and we have no idea about anything else to do with the car. There's no more details revealed as to you know what it looks like. Is it a five door? Is it a you know hatchback? Is it small? Is it large? Like we've no idea. We don't know. Um, but Dyson says this is James Dyson says it will be quote radical and different. Well, I think. That, yeah. That's, on, what, that's all of his products are radical and different, aren't they? Well, radically expensive. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, I I just I give up honestly. I mean, it's fine. He'll he'll make a car. If there's any British company that could probably actually do this and pull it off to a to a certain degree. Dyson is one of the few that could do it. The the challenge that they've got is, I mean, a they're up against Tesla, which has you know cemented a decent a bit of sort of public. Um, uh, awareness if you like for its product and it's it's got its model is it this model three or something that's coming yep. out that's, yep. that's the you know quote unquote thirty five thousand dollars isn't it yeah yeah something like that so and it'll be about thirty five thousand quid probably when it when it comes over here but you know they want to sell something like four hundred thousand of those initially and and you know that that's the that's the mainstream tesla dyson is a company that charges several hundred quid for a hairdryer and a fan you know we are talking ridiculously engineered i'm not going to say over engineered the products are good but let's be honest they are for a class of people well, that really value design and but are, the- but are they really good though that's the thing like i mean I, i've heard yeah. various feedback from people about um so some people some people i've spoken to absolutely love the dyson fan most of those people are journalists who got it for free that i don't hear a lot of people going i've spent 500 pounds on it it's, it's more like 300 i've spent 300 pounds on a fan and i couldn't be happier with it a lot let of me tell you mate. used it have, have said it's just like a normal fan let me tell you who's buying this who's buying it companies they need to put money somewhere. <laughs> right right and, off a, an expense. Yeah, perhaps. And a great place to put that is in an expensive fan. Um, but you know what? I, I think people do buy it. I, I think you see it. You know, hotels have them. Like, they, they, they will sell them. It's like the, the, the fans, uh, the, the hand dryers they sell. And the, yeah. they, they even sell taps, you know, that well, automatically Well, I don't, th- I don't think cold. they do anymore, do they? They, they certainly they got sh- them at their headquarters. I've been there. I've met, I shot a video there. Um, and they have them in the toilets there. And they're... I mean, I don't know. It, they're, they're all right. I don't think you'd. It, it sort of. It's not a very good idea because it's basically tying up a tap 
for washing your hands and hair and drying them again afterwards um, i suppose i mean i've I said before now the water we, in the we, same place i guess so we talked about dyson on our 100th episode podcast our live our live show and uh and i i suggested that the, the thing dyson really needs to invent is a kind of um, a dryer built into a bathroom door frame so that when you walk out of the bathroom in the nude having had a shower yeah you're you're dried off you know uh with with the hand dryers you still have to put your hands in and out so you might need to sort of dance in and out of the bathroom in order to get dry but it would be a exercise and be a lot of fun so i think that'd be great it does seem they're not going to do that it does look like they're going to prioritize the waste car. their time on a car yeah which is their prerogative, fine. Um, and I think it'd be very interesting. I just can't believe, personally, that, that, that they can have a launch by 2020. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's so I incredibly mean, soon. I, I don't know. I mean, that doesn't seem very unrealistic to me. I uh, uh, The biggest problem with any of these electric cars is always going to be designing a battery that's safe, um, lasts a long time, charges up quite quickly, yeah. um, and has a decent capacity. That is That is an issue that Dyson probably has a bit more understanding of than most because, obviously, it does work quite considerably um with uh bat- rechargeable batteries in a lot of its uh, existing products so it's it's quite possible that they've they've got a pretty good hand on it they also uh pinched some tesla people i think they they you know hired some people from tesla well would you um, like to hear my conspiracy theory go on right this is my theory here dyson apart from kind of built-in um software into things like its robot vac and things yeah. like controllers Dyson isn't a software company, right? Dyson is extremely good at hardware, industrial design. Well, I wouldn't say extremely good. Oh, come on. Like, they're, they're overpriced products, but they're, but they're good. And they're also ugly. All right, well, that's a subjective opinion, and I suppose that they're good is also subjective. But you know what I'm saying is, like, yeah. their expertise, at least, is in, is in physical craftsmanship. Apple is known to be working on a very, very, very big, highly invested in car project, but they've said they're not going to build a car. They want to build or develop the software, like the stuff that's going to power the car, Uh, not as in batteries, but as in, you know, the software, the integration, the, the things. Wouldn't it make a lot of sense if actually Dyson was going to build the car and Apple was going to be the software that made it, you know, usable and great. Because you don't want engineers designing software, because that's why TV menus are so terrible. Because it's the engineers who make them, and they can't design UI to save themselves. But in my opinion... No, uh, no, but Apple... that, and that's always the case. If you ever see a developmental yeah. UI by an engineer, it's always complete cack. It's functional, but it won't look very good. Exactly. So I think that this would be a match made in heaven, at least in terms of the you know correct partnerships. Um, and you know, God, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be something? Very very expensive car. I mean, if you're paying two hundred pound for a hairdryer, it's probably more than two hundred pounds. It's three hundred pounds the hairdryer. Three hundred pounds for a hairdryer. Yeah. Then you can imagine that a, a brand new electric car from Dyson is gonna is gonna be um, well. Put it this way, Ian and I won't be buying one um, anytime soon. But you know what? Let us know if you have thoughts on this. Um, It's a fascinating story, and it's such a long time away that it's going to be a lot of fun to speculate while we know so little about it. Podcast at natelangston.com or tweet us at textmessagepod. Ian, when was the last time you sent a postcard, Chief? Um, 
I actually, funny, funny enough, I did buy a postcard when I was down on our little family holiday to the coast. Um, I don't believe it got sent though. <laughs> I think it's probably still around here somewhere. Well, it's, um, it's it's quite possible that the postcard that you bought uh, was made by a British publisher called J Salmon, and they are the oldest postcard company in the UK, having opened in 1880. Um, why are we talking about postcodes, postcodes, postcards on a uh, on a tech podcast? Well, the fact is. The postcard company is going to close this December after 137 years in business because, according to the BBC, instead of penning a card, people are putting photos up on Facebook or Instagram or using WhatsApp to show friends and family at home what they're up to and not buying and sending postcards. Um, Apparently, people are also taking shorter holidays, which means they're likely to have arrived home before their postcards have arrived, which is particularly probably true if you're traveling overseas. Um, I mean, we, that really, is that really an issue? Well, apparently so. I mean, they're selling a quarter of the postcards that were sold uh, 25 years ago. We sell about 5 million a year now, and they used to be 20, 20 million a year in in, uh, the, in the 90s. I'm sure this company would know better than me, but it's never been the case that when you send a postcard from abroad, it's got there before you get back. It's kind of like the sort of the, the stock in joke, isn't it? It's like, you know, yeah. I'm back. Did you get the postcard? No, not yet. It doesn't even matter. It's it's really just postcards are about saying to someone, hey, look, I was thinking about you while I was away. Here's a picture of it. <laughs> and I mean, I've always thought postcards are the most pointless thing in the world because it's like I look at them and I go, well, I'm not there. What the hell good is this to me? Um, but I, I, I'm surprised. I would be surprised if that's a real contributing factor in the downfall of postcards. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a little bit of a factor. OK, well, but, you know, there's another factor here as well, apparently, yeah. which is which is um, I don't know. It's a bit sad. I mean, this is a this is a family business, right? It's been a family business ever since it was founded. Um and, but the company said that, uh, and this is this is a quote, we have also had to consider that there are no more family members who wish to join the business. That is sad, but you know what they should have done? They should have, uh, they should have done a sort of uh, Charlie the Chocolate Factory type thing and uh, put a po- sent a postcard to someone randomly and said, here's the company, it's all yours. That would have been a lot of fun. It yeah. would have been a regulatory nightmare. Um, well, I don't know. It- I mean, if, if you know sell give them a company i don't know yeah you're probably right it's quite a lot of work to run a company and if you get given the directorship of a company that then immediately goes bust it can ruin your life but yeah um yeah but even so i mean <laughs> i guess they've made the decision not to sell up i mean then that roald dahl never really covered that in in, in one of his unpublished sequels was it you know charlie and the uh, hmrc investigation well exactly i i sort i do I sort of kind of think that if a company has been set up um, in this way to do something like postcards, it it's, it's takes a staggering lack of imagination to be able to, to, to not be able to figure out a way to make money out of it using the equipment you've got. I would suspect that maybe they th- they've looked at the numbers and they thought, well, OK, we've got these machines that do this job. We could sell them now for X. Um, let's just take the money and, and close it out. And that may be a big part of it you know especially if they've got no one to hand it on to they're thinking yes. okay well we'll have our retirement now then and uh and and the, and you know not worry too much about running the business anymore it's sad but uh, you know i suppose you have to be there's no point sort of putting you know give, personifying companies as people when they're not yeah well maybe send a postcard this year they're closing down in december so perhaps a christmas postcard uh to your nearest and dearest uh, would be a lovely way to celebrate um the death of a 137 year old business 
uh, you know, like I've got a friend who makes um, Christmas cards. I've just bought some off her. You know, support uh, support someone on Etsy or something like that because actually it's quite nice that you know individual people are hand producing cards to send at Christmas. So I'll make I'll make sure you're one of the people that gets one of my handmade cards, uh, Nate. So Aww. for Christmas. I look forward to that. And maybe at some point we'll set up a P.O. box and then someone listening can send us a postcard. Uh, but in the meantime, let us know your thoughts, not on a postcard, but at podcast at natelangson.com. No stam required. I just totally butchered that. What I meant to say was .com, no stamp required. Well, that's the end of our news for this week. Um, I did want to start sort of mentioning the fact that we do have a hell of a lot more to talk about than we actually have time to talk about on the show, even on our extended version. Um, you know, this week, some of the stories we heard in our shortlist, uh, Shell, uh, the oil uh, giant, planning its first no-petrol station. Um, it's trying to move itself towards entirely clean motoring, and this is its next step. M&S, the supermarket, launching its own trial of an online grocery delivery business. Um, EasyJet is going to start free in-flight streaming services, which is an interesting bit of PR around the time their rival Ryanair's having a bit of a headache. Um, yep. All of these stories throughout the week, we post them to our Twitter, at TextMessagePod. Uh, it's partly there, so I know all the stories that we might want to talk about at the end of the week when I prepare the show notes. But it's also a great place for you to let us know um, what you think to the stories give us feedback which we can then fold into the show uh, at text message pod do give us a follow there and uh, and start using it as your source for all the uk tech news uh, that at least in and i think matters Well, it's time to welcome an old friend onto the show. As I mentioned at the start of the program, we're about to discuss some themes that you might not want kids to hear if they're around. Um, We'll be discussing this for 15 minutes. So if you've got young ones nearby or have very sensitive ears uh, yourself, of course, then do skip forwards 15 minutes until we're delving into our mailbag for this week. Okay, with that disclaimer out of the way, Liv, welcome to the show. Um, Can you start by telling us exactly how you ended up being the news uh, while up the side of a mountain in America? Okay, so I guess about a year ago, I received a flurry of rape and death threats. Uh, I'm not actually sure what story or what thing I did online to uh, trigger these threats. I presume it was a story that I've written, but it was never very clear which one. Um, But I'm kind of used to this, unfortunately, as a woman on the internet who has some sort of public profile as a journalist. Uh, And at the same time, I also got someone signing me up to a mail bot, which is where they take your email address, shove it into um, this bot thing and it will send you 20,000 emails overnight, spam mails, sign you up to all the dodgy newsletters uh, and it kind of acts as a DDoS attack on your inbox. So at the time I kind of was, you know, it's a bit frustrating, but I wasn't particularly threatened. It was fairly, I, I, I was quite used to it, but I took a screen grab of one of the messages I got, which was uh, the subject line was Olivia, you bitch um and it was from an email and um, from a the name of the sender was i will rape you and then the subject the the, the content of the email was i will rape you before i kill you you filthy whore <laughs> which i um but uh, you know i just i took a screen grab of the email and i sent i put it to i, I put it on twitter and i think i posted it to instagram saying you know like 
another day as a woman on the internet. Um, and I, I never, yeah, I never know whether to feed the trolls or not, but we can talk about that later. But um, last week, I got a text from my sister, and it's a screen grab from her Facebook profile. And in her feed, in her news feed, she's seen an ad for Instagram saying, you know, Olivia Solon is using Instagram, and here's a photo to show what all the fun she's having on Instagram. And they had picked that screen grab from a year ago of I will rape you. So they were essentially promoting the app um, with a rape threat, which I thought was quite entertaining and tweeted about it. (laughs) And then that tweet got a lot of traction at a time when there's a lot of scrutiny of sort of algorithms at the moment and the decisions that they're making. Um, And then about, I was actually on a mountain in Santa Barbara in California hiking with my dogs and um, my my boss calls me and is is like, we need to do a story about this. Do you mind if you speak to one of the reporters about it? And I was like, that's fine. And so after that, everyone else just copied the Guardian story, including the Daily Mail and various other publications. I didn't really know that what was happening, but overnight I just had loads of loads of people flagging this story that I'd apparently been in. Your choice of words, if you don't mind me um, saying, is, you know, you'd sort of said they'd picked, um, you know, this rape threat screenshot as a, a as an ad. But that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because there is no they and there is no pick. It's, yes. it's an algorithm determining, presumably, because that post, I imagine, provoked quite a response from your followers. Yeah. It was it had a lot of interest, a lot of, you know, engagement. That's a better term. Engagement with that post, replies and and things like that. And so presumably the algorithm just saw it doesn't know the content. It just knows that it was a popular post for whatever reason and and uses it. I mean, what does that tell you about what needs to change with with algorithms? And, you know, do you think this this highlights an actual major underlying flaw? I just think a lot more work needs to go into these algorithms. I mean, Instagram is notoriously militant and and Facebook about policing using image recognition, female nipples. And it's actually incredibly good at identifying them automatically and taking them down. This is actually a very clear screen grab with word, with text in it. I know it requires image um, recognition to pull that text out of a screen grab, but I don't think it would be that difficult for a company like Facebook, which obviously owns Instagram, to do that sort of image analysis to pull out words like that. Um, yeah, I mean, OCR, optical character recognition, it's every app that scans documents these days pretty much seems to do it in some form. And yeah. Facebook, with all of its machine learning and, and everything else, like you'd have thought it would have employed something like this already because... This was rape threats and death threats and things, but it yeah. could easily have just have been vulgar language or or, or hate speech or racism or yeah. something like that. And presumably, they this this surely can't be the first time that something like this has happened. No, absolutely not. I mean, they um, they said that only a very small group of my contacts on Facebook were shown the ad, as, and, and then they also had a very long um, conversation with my coworker who wrote the story to try and say that it wasn't actually an ad because no one paid for it. And, and I don't know, it was a semantic wrangling around the fact that this was a promotional post for Instagram, which by anyone else's definition is an ad. It is. I mean, we'd call them a house ad if it was a magazine or a website. 
Exactly, exactly. Um, I actually, something that did happen a couple of days later that I haven't spoken about is that the COO of Instagram, a woman called Marnie Levine, emailed me personally to apologize for what happened. And particularly, I mean, she was really apologizing for the fact that women on the internet experience the harassment as opposed to the fact that this mistake happened. Um, but it was a very classy and um, I was very impressed to receive a, a message from her directly because um, I'd heard in the press that supposedly Instagram had apologized and I didn't really know who Instagram had apologized to, I guess, just to the media who'd asked them. It shows that there are people behind these these mistakes and they are happy to own up to it. But but something surely needs to change to, you know, to prevent this from happening uh, on a regular basis. Yeah. And this all ties into the fact that, you know, recently they've they've um, it's been shown that it's possible to target ads on Facebook to people who who mark themselves as Jew haters and various other, you know, racist or anti-Semitic categories um, within the ad platform of Facebook. So I think Facebook and is under a lot of scrutiny in particular, uh, given all the stuff in the in the Russia, the Russian intervention in the US presidential elections as well. Mm. Um, but I, I would say that on the whole, my experience with Instagram has been a lot more pleasant as a place to be online than than some of the other platforms, including Twitter and generally just being in the comments of, of websites. So, you know, Instagram does generally do quite a good job of policing its network for, for abuse and harassment. You've mentioned that this is sort of symptomatic of, of what it can be like to have a, a, a public profile and particularly as, as a woman, um, and, and that you've had this sort of thing before in terms of the, the abuse. But what what should people do about it? What what should people do on the you know the first time they have something like this? Like what what should their response be? What action can they take? And should they be worried? Yeah. So I think first of all you have to determine whether or not the the threat is a really credible threat. And and for police that's often determined by um, whether it's you know it knows where you are. So it mentions your address or your place of work and a specific time or date or venue that you're going to be. Um, again, with mine, that didn't, and I had in none of the emails that I received, did I ever have that? And annoyingly, all of the emails were sent from anonymized, um, tour based email uh, domains. So it made it very hard to trace in any meaningful way. Uh, the second thing is how to respond just emotionally, because obviously you see the word rape or, or murder in, in an email and it's quite startling. But then, you know, you do know that these people are often trolls and it's designed to provoke a, rea a reaction. And for a long time, I, I avoided feeding the trolls and we've been told not to do that. They just want to rise and it just, um, you know, gets them to do it more. And I, the more I speak to people about this, and I've spoken to a few academics about this, the more I feel that that's actually a really kind of victim blaming approach. And it suggests that if you don't, um, you know, if you don't respond, you won't get this harassment from random people on the Internet. And in the years that I've been I've been doing this, that's just absolutely not the case. You get the harassment and you either talk about it or you don't talk about it. And the way that I like to talk about it is to make fun of it, you know. I've wrote a story about this last year and I'm thinking of doing another one, but I often will find, uh, I don't know, a grammatical error in the threat. I had what, another one that said, um, 
I'm going to kill you and then rape your dead body. And I just think, well, you can't rape a dead body, can you? Because a body can't give consent. And it's obviously it's a dark humor. But for me, I find that as a sharing things like that and showing people the kind of things that I receive and getting people to make fun of the sender of those messages, for me, is a better coping strategy than just being silent about it and worrying about it and not getting the support from people. I think it's good that... um that you know this issue could be raised uh with you know uh, f- from your perspective a degree of humor um i, I suppose and yeah. um and, and allow a conversation around the the problem to um to result from it uh and and obviously thank you very much for um for being so open with us on uh, on the show today thank you I'm, it's it's all for you Nate you know i miss <laughs> our days of the wired podcast let everyone know where where should they find you what's the next big thing you've got working on the, that that we should go and check out I don't know if it's the next big thing, but I've just written a, a fun story about a guy, uh, a French guy who ran a dark, a dark web drug market. And he was arrested on his way into the US where he was trying to attend the World Beard and Moustache Championships. <laughs> he had this magnificent um, red beard and had competed in this championship before but unfortunately at uh, the border of the US he got uh, arrested they searched his laptop and discovered that he was linked to a uh, he was basically a massive drug kingpin oh allegedly allegedly I will say fantastic well um, that'll be on the Guardian um, probably by the time people listen to this but we'll include a link to that story uh, in our in our show notes and obviously link to, to Liv's Twitter where you can um you can follow her and uh, and send her pleasant messages, um, of course. Uh, Liv, thank you so much. Thank you, Nate. Uh, let's move into our mailbag, though, because we had a lot of mail this week, and uh, almost all of it has concerned um, things like the Cody boxes or piracy uh, after we've had a... Uh, quite an in-depth discussion about it on last week's show. Um, some of these people have chosen to remain anonymous, which we promised we'd uh, honour, and that's absolutely fine. Uh, we had one here from Anonymous. Hi guys, love the show. Uh, great to have you back in my ears during my morning commute. Thought I'd drop you an email as I'm a committed user of an admittedly dubious IPTV services that I, cla- that I access via Kodi for the sole reason that it grants me access to the Formula One channel from Sky. Couldn't care less about any other sports or ter- television in general for that matter but sky's archaic unfair and utterly outmoded pricing structure makes it impossible for me to get access to the one channel i wish to uh to watch without paying a minimum of 40 pounds a month uh, the only legal alternative is their now tv service but that still bundles all the sports channels and works out more expensive than simply signing up to sky uh, through iptv i pay 40 pounds a year for access to sky sports f1 and until sky admits that modern consumers are too smart to hold for the to fall for the whole perceived value bundling of your they will never see my money now i imagine that's a story that many people um who view services uh, will uh will feel some sort of sympathy towards because if you do only want one channel why would you pay for 40 it's a real it's a real problem yeah exactly i mean i i can i can certainly sympathize with that uh i think sky will eventually wise up now now tv is as a sort of step in the right direction isn't it ultimately they're going to have to realise that they're losing out on not only £40 a month, but they're also sort of losing out on the opportunity to have £10 a month from maybe someone having one channel, but then the opportunity to upsell them on something if if they can produce something that that, that person's interested in. Yeah. It's better well, to thank- have someone as a customer, isn't it, really? 
generally speaking it is um and thank you anonymous one for that ian do you want to take uh, anonymous two it's at the top of the next page oh yes yeah, sure uh in response to the cody debate i pay for sky q netflix amazon prime and i also have a cody box even with those paid services i occasionally run into issues where i can't easily get uh, earlier seasons so cody plugins prove useful he's talking about tv seasons of shows i guess um or, or she, I can't, don't know. It doesn't literally doesn't say on this thing, does it? Also, with the right add-ons, Cody is very good for porn, which I suppose is a, another interesting idea for using it. Yeah. Um, I run Cody on an Nvidia Shield, uh, and I appreciate good hardware. Uh, but you can get Android boxes on eBay for around forty pounds, and they can come with Cody preset up for add-ons for pirating. Yeah, I, when I was writing about it every day, I um, I looked into Cody. I, honestly, it. Um, I've played with it enough to have seen some of the channels and stuff like that and, and seen the quality. I just couldn't live with it is, is my, is my response. Um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a quality person. I like good quality and it's, it's okay if you want to try something out. For example, I did have a look at a program, um, on a Cody stream that I then went on to seek on sky because it, I, it was really interesting. So, you know, again, it's I'm I, I've got most of these services too, so I don't really have a need for it. But if, from a, you know how it is when you're interested in something, you almost do things just to see what they're like. If you see what I mean, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I I I don't mind admitting that you know, I mean, I pay for a ton of stuff on you know Netflix. We have Amazon. We've got you know, I buy stuff on on iTunes as well. Um, but you know, every now and again, you know, there's a there's something that that I want to watch, and I I don't even know if I'm going to like it, you know, or it's something that you know Kate wanted to watch, and and, and I don't particularly know if it's even broadcasted. And you can you know get hold of those in a roundabout sort of way. Um, but the fact is, I can count several programs that i maybe have started watching that way and have since paid money for mm. um some as recently as last week when um you know we really wanted to watch another couple of seasons of something and it was really good value on itunes and we bought two series off itunes amazon sort of really capitalizes on that a little bit by offering a lot of its original shows or, or shows it's got um exclusives to in the uk uh where you can watch the first episode for free which is a really good idea um it's and great. that's open i think believe that's open to non uh prime subscribers as well um so you know you know it's it's quite good f- from that perspective it's a fantastic way. Um, we had another email from Steve. Uh, we, we've truncated this ever so slightly because it's a very, very long email. Um, but there's an awful lot of information in here about how this all works, which I found fascinating, having never used one of these at all. Uh, Steve says, Hi, Nathan Ian. I'm not actually an owner of a Cody box as such. However, as the go-to geek within my social circles, people ask me about them a lot. And I've had a dabble with Cody uh, on an Android phone and tablet uh, and the setup for what are being sold. He points out the key things are... Cody out of the box is nothing more than the old XMBC platform. I think it's XBMC, yeah, possibly. XBMC. Xbox Media Center, which we talked about last week, uh, albeit a more advanced version, he says. Um, all a Cody box is is an Android TV box with an HDMI cable and a LAN port, um, sometimes audio too, with a Bluetooth keyboard touchpad sold separately. And he says the Cody box is here about 20 quid. Uh, a Bluetooth keyboard is an extra fiver or, or 10 quid. The rest of it is how the reseller packages these boxes so he says they can load a custom skin and interface to give it a nice tv box look and feel for navigation which gets around your problem of the horrible interfaces oh well i mean even with the good interfaces it's it's not it's not really that it's just about how the well it's probably a topic for another time it's about how those services operate and the length of time it takes you to get to see something 
Yeah. Uh, he says um, they load the plugins that access the content streams um, and then they sell them for 100 quid a pop. Um, some of them do offer support. Some of them sell them and you'll never hear from them again. Um, but it seems really that for these ones that are being bought, you're buying them for the convenience and, and to have everything installed um, right out of the box. Uh, Steve points out that they have been known to reload some new plugins with different content providers as they spring up because, as he suggests, sometimes old ones get taken offline by police. Um and he says, having played around with the streams himself, he finds the skins vary massively from being great and user-friendly to being woefully terrible. You find yourself clicking back only to find yourself at the home screen five menus back rather than the screen you were actually on before. Uh, and the content itself, he says, there are clearly free illegal streams there and some are great, but some are terrible, both with picture quality and connection reliability. There are even some plugins that will search a range of content providers to find the one with the best quality and connection speed for a particular film or TV episode. Quite advanced stuff for what they are, Steve says. However, my personal experience is that the time and hassle I've spent trying to find a decent stream, a good quality picture, I could have been through a quarter of a film by that point, and I've given up and gone to Netflix instead because I know yeah. it works, it's reliable, yeah. and it's good quality. Uh, I think that's enough on the subject, but as an aside, I've been listening since the first episode and really enjoy the podcast. Okay, haven't signed up to Patreon yet. Keep up the good work. Obviously, we'd love you to join us as, as a patron, um, Steve. Uh, I, but thank you ever so much. You know, this is this is great. This kind of insight and experience is uh, is fascinating for me personally because I've never used one of these things, but I'm sure that there's several thousand other people who uh, who listen to us. Um, We'll, we'll get a kick out of knowing how this works. So um, so thanks uh, to everyone who's written on, on about Cody. Um, we had another one come in from Stephen Huxtable, one of our patrons, uh, who briefly mentioned Cody. He says, um, in my circle, it seems that loading Cody onto an Amazon Fire Stick is the thing. Yeah, um, that's, uh, that's very common because Amazon Fire Sticks are dirt cheap. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Stephen also messaged in uh, after we uh, ribbed him a little bit uh, for buying a new 4G uh, Series 3 watch without mentioning that he actually wanted 4G at all. Uh, he says he's selling his Series 2 to a colleague at work. I was sort of hoping he was going to just sort of send it to us for free as a gift because of how brilliant we are, Ian. Uh, but it turns yeah. out... But it doesn't matter because I've got a Series 3 myself now. It's lovely. It's got a red dot on the side and the battery lasts for three days. So, <laughs> Yeah, uh, especially if you don't use 4G, right? Yes. Well, yes. Well, I'm on Vodafone, so um, I haven't actually tried out the 4G yet. I'm looking forward to giving it a go, but I need to get an eSIM, put it in a different phone and then set it up. But at least in terms of uh, being used as a wrist-based notifier, which is largely what I use it for, I've gone three full days and two full nights wearing it without taking it off and without charging it, which is a hell of a lot better than the Series 1 model that yeah. I've been using up to that point. Yeah, so. and I mean, look, I'm 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 a big believer in the Apple Watch as a as just as advice to wear that sometimes offers extra features that you don't get on a normal watch. I really love that watch, and I've I've used so many smartwatches over the years, and the Apple Watch is the first one I actually I di- I, I wore it every day, and I, and I didn't want to give it back. When they finally asked for it back, I was like, oh, I don't really want to. Uh, so I'm excited to get a new one. Well, our next and final email uh, came in from Jacob. Um, this concerns the Apple Watch because we talked about it last week, of course. Uh, Jacob says, I do not currently have an Apple Watch, but I am looking to purchase one. One might think this makes makes me a prime candidate for the Series 3. It does. That's, that's exactly what I would have thought. Uh, but I'm actually considering picking up the Series 1. Oh, well, there you go. Yes, I decided against the LTE-enabled watch because I have limited use case for that level of connectivity and it simply wasn't worth the extra $120, Jacob's in the US, added to our wireless bill. Taking that out of the equation, there is little else to differentiate the Series 3 non-LTE from the Series 1. There's a slight speed bump, it's slightly more scratch-resistant, and the 3 has a red dot. Other than that, the form factor remains largely unchanged. Um, well, in fact, the Series 3 is bigger, I believe, isn't it? 
Like, well, if it is, it feels exactly the yeah, same. I think it is literally a millimeter or something. It, it's very it, it slightly is Im- larger. It's imperceptible, and I, I went from wearing one one day to the other the next day, and I cannot tell the difference. I will uh, say I can- this: it is the, the big difference is that battery. Although, no, the Series One is water resistant, but it's not. It's not properly water resistant. It's not waterproof. It's splash proof. Yeah, and the Series Three is properly waterproof, isn't it? I think waterproof is different to water well, resistant. It's, uh, yeah. You can take it swimming. You put can it up, take it, put it swimming, that way. which which does put it in the category of being very nearly waterproof. If it's if it's swimmable, that's yeah. asking a lot. You can't swim with a, a water resistant phone. That's no. suicide. No, you, you you well, you say that. I mean, I've I've used well, the iPhone in the bath. You could, you can, you shouldn't. And I've written an article about this. You shouldn't get waterproof phones wet. Don't do it. It's stupid. Well, it was fun. Also, I was in a garden centre once and there were some giant fish in one ah. of the outdoor things and I wanted to film them, so I shoved the phone underwater to film the fish. It's a lot of fun, but unfortunately the sound when you do that is a horrible white noise that needs to be fixed. But there we C- go. Uh, CNET wrote, ran a story on um, Samsung phones that um, well, I linked to in the story I wrote um, saying that if you submerge a Samsung Galaxy, I think it was the Galaxy S7, it can permanently damage the speakers and headphone uh, at not headphone the the speaker and uh, the earpiece so you've got to be really careful well um, you have I, I would say I... apple on the on the on the watch for example it has a system where it uses the speaker uh yes. as a kind of little vibrator thing to push the water out of the hole to it avoid that problem but um what i would say jacob here is that there are two big big differences between the series one and the series three or at least the series two that i would strongly consider one of them we've mentioned is the waterproofing feature the other is the battery honestly the battery in the series two is a massive step up from the series one it's enormous the battery is physically much bigger by about a third or something well here's my advice then go Go on. on apple and get a refurbished series two before they stop selling them because apple refurbished is as good as new essentially i i I would agree with that i think i agree that the series three doesn't seem like it's for you and the battery increases is slight but not anywhere near as significant but the series two does have the water resistance uh and it does have the bigger battery and it will and it is faster so it runs watch os 4 probably slightly nippier than than the series one which is a a bit slow if i'm honest uh particularly compared to the new one uh, but that's our advice do with it what you will uh, <laughs> that's it uh we're going to check in quickly with tom Merritt from daily tech news show and find out what else has been going on in the wider world of tech this week tom hey thanks this week on daily tech news show we talked about apple's switch from bing to google and what that means for competition and search discussed dubai's efforts to sell us on the idea of an autonomous flying taxi service debated the relative merits of 140 versus 280 characters on twitter of course dug into the details of the U.S. plan to examine immigrants' social media posts and got the scoop from Microsoft Ignite with Paul Spain. All that and more at dailytechnewsshow.com. Hey, I'll see you guys next Monday. Thank you, Tom. And hey, I mean, this is this is worth noting, actually, that this when this podcast goes out, which will be at the week, you know, the weekend, it will be one week until my wedding. Ah, uh, yes. Now, the next episode of the podcast will go out... At technically, because we need to figure out when we're going to record it, but it will go out after I'm married. It will be next weekend, but it'll be after I've got married. So this is the last podcast I'm going to do not being married. Interesting. Which is slightly terrifying, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, um, I don't think so. It's uh, a relatively light uh, change of state. It's not like having a leg lopped off or anything like that. 
No, I suppose so. But uh, nonetheless, it, it, it's sort of hitting me now that it's only a week away. And, and, and you know, by the time this is the last, yeah, this is the last podcast people will hear before I get married. Which, oh, I don't know. Uh... It, it's, it's, it's quite terrifying. And Tom Merritt, bless him, is, is flying over yes, you know, with, with his and... wife. He's going to be at the wedding. So, you know, uh, for I, those of you who don't know, we're good. On... Doing Go a, I'm going to do a podcast with Tom, um, hopefully, as long as we can get our ducks in a row. Um, so I'll be, once once you've got married on that Monday after, I'm going to go meet Tom and we'll record something. So that'll oh, be fantastic. fun. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, you know, outside of the world of podcasting, uh, we are all very, uh, very good friends. Ian is one of my groomsmen in the wedding, in in, in fact. And I am in the wedding. S- in, in the wedding party, um, dressed the same as me for the first and probably only time ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ian and I have this quite different really dress sense. Um, so it'll be a, a rare opportunity. But um, anyway, so... Uh, we'll post at least one photo on Patreon, oh, won't we? Oh, I think, I think we'll post something on Patreon. Maybe if we have a little bit too much to drink, maybe we'll record a little something on the wedding and put it on the Patreon <laughs> I'll, feed. I'll, I'll, and I'll, if I remember, and I probably Tom. won't, I'll try and put something on the text message uh, Twitter feed as well. Yes, Ian will have more time than I will on the day to be tweeting anything. So, uh, yeah, look out at at text message pod uh, for any stuff from the wedding from Ian. But um, there we go. Anyway, we will see you all in a week when I become somebody's husband. Uh, Toodle pip to freedom. And to, (laughs) to you listeners. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you